Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Jared Mack on the show on this Tuesday edition. Uh, getting you ready to go for Oregon. Stanford, 8 p.m. kickoff, FS1, Alex Faust, and uh, Petros Papadikis are on the call. 8-10, Jared. I don't know if you noticed this yeah. in the game notes. Uh, the uh, the announced time is 8 o'clock, but it's going to even take even later for this game to start. 8-10 on FS1. Uh, Oregon is a massive t- uh, favorite in this one, three-score favorite. I think the line's like 16 now. Um, 16 and a half. Yeah, 16 and a half. This this is a game going in where Oregon's viewed as the prohibial favorite. They should win in a big way. And yet, this is a. I think Duck fans are probably a little scared because seeing what happened last last year at, at Stanford, 31 24 overtime loss. Oregon was three in the country. Um, that's actually Stanford's last win over a, an FBS team. Um, they have lost nine straight. We've seen the 2018 game where Oregon had the game basically under wraps and then they lost that one in overtime. If they could have just ran the ball out, they've been fine. Um, we've seen plenty of Oregon seasons kind of get derailed by this program. And even with a huge spread line, it, there's, there's that like weird vibe around this game. Oh yeah, it's just it's just how these games have gone the last couple of years. Um, I think Oregon has been the superior team at basically every single year, um, and they've found their way to lose. Uh, whether that be yeah. some costly penalties at the end of a game like last season, or some just some miscues in in coaching or uh, coaching or just uh, execution in terms of plays, like in 2018. Um, Oregon has just kind of found a way to lose these games when they're very important to, to Oregon. Now, both these schools were unranked and two and two. Uh, I think Oregon could, you know, probably would win this one by 60. But since they are ranked and they are on a little bit of a hot streak and Stanford is not good this season and the line is so high, um, it has all the recipes for a potential massive disaster. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I certainly hope it doesn't happen for for the sake of uh, for us, frankly, for covering this yeah. team because it would be nice to uh, to keep the winning streak going. But yeah, you just look at what it has been in the past, and it's it's this isn't necessarily um, something that as an Oregon fan 
you're like, oh, this is this is easy. This is nothing to worry about, right? Um, this is certainly something to worry about. Um, but again, I still think Oregon is the much better team here. Um, the line actually has has jumped up again. It is now uh, oh, minus minus seventeen and a half. So it's gonna it opened at fifteen on Saturday. Originally in June, it opened at ten and a half, and now it's up to seventeen and a half. Um, money uh, over under sixty three and a half. That it keeps going up, and it's now over a three score game. And I think I think oh sorry, I, I just thought of this. I think it should continue to go up because EJ Smith is now out for the year for Stanford. But yeah, Stanford running back uh, out for the year. Jackson Moore, who covers Stanford for twenty four seven Sports, tweeted that out. Um, earlier today and just look at some of these scores that they have allowed uh they beat colgate 41 to 10 that's their only win in the last 10 games um southern cal they played week two they lost 28 to 41 and then last week after a bye week at washington they got trounced 40 to 22 and it's it it it's certainly uh it's a respectable program. You respect the opponent, but the team that Oregon is playing is not very good. Like you said, now there are things on the Oregon side that will work against them going into this one. Um, most notably we, we learned Monday night from Oregon head coach, Dan Lanning was that the team's appeal on DJ Johnson's targeting call, which happened in the second half at Washington state had been denied, which now means Oregon's top pass rusher uh, will be out for the first half of the Stanford game. He'll play, mm-hmm. but it's this This hurts Oregon. This was the guy we kind of felt like going into the year was the only real true pass rusher on its, schedule, you know, on its roster, and now he's gone for at least a half. How does Oregon – Maneuver this. Um, he has three sacks on the year. The next closest is Noah Sewell, Keith Brown, Trevin Mai, who all have one, you know, each. Collectively, they combine for what DJ Johnson has done. So this is going to be a big question here is just where does the production come from with DJ Johnson having to sit for half the game? Yeah, that that is the question. Uh, we talked to Brandon Dorless at practice. He mentioned that um, – you know, he's looking forward to playing with, with DJ Johnson in the second half, obviously, but yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're preparing to not pr- not play with him or at least not play with him for the first half. Um, DJ's obviously still getting reps and still participating in practice, right. but he's just not practicing with the first set of guys. Um, Brandon Dorless mentioned that he's just playing with Mace Funa on, uh, uh, next to him or opposite of him, and uh, he's been doing that since his freshman year, so that's nothing new. I think the question therein lies is, is where does Oregon go uh, after Mace Funa? Because the depth is, you, know, you you have Braden Swinson, but depending on what the the play or what the what the call is on defensively, you could have Braden and Mace on the field at the same time. So then you wonder, you know, who's the next man up? Um, like outside linebackers are, you know, Jake Shipley, someone like that, Jaden Navarrete, who has only been recently practicing for the last couple of weeks, Brandon Buckner, who didn't even make the the trip to Pullman. Um, wasn't part of the travel package. So I think that's something that I'll be interested in watching. Uh, I think Oregon's defensive line will will sure up and will be sharp against Stanford. But um, for the first half, at least, I think it's really something to watch is, is who is the second or third or, or potentially even the fourth option for how often Oregon rotates their defensive line. Um, 
other than that though uh it's yeah like like matt like you just said um you're just still gonna play he's just not gonna be in there in the first half um it's not surprising that they denied the appeal because it, it was targeting as even though he didn't hit him hit the quarterback in the head he did lead with the crown of the helmet which is unfortunate for dj but um I, I think i think oregon will be fine without him but i think it will be i think it could potentially be a a little bit of a difference maker in the first half at least now other injury news for oregon um on monday stephen jones Dan was asked about Stephen Jones, Byron Cardwell, Caleb Chapman. Um, he quickly did not he, – he acknowledged he was not going to talk anything about Stephen Jones. And you were at practice on Tuesday. Nothing changes there, right? No, no changes. Obviously, Stephen Jones is, is not there. Um, Byron Cardwell still looked to be limited. He warmed up off to the side as compared to in the traditional just columns of, of people. Um, Justin Flo, who did play against uh, against Washington, Washington State. State, excuse me, my brain's all scrambled. Um, he did play against Washington State. Uh, he was it looked like a full participant today. Um, other guys, uh, Ryan Walk, another full participant. Caleb Chapman took place in drills as well. Uh, we didn't get to see too many things, but that was about it in terms of the injury perspective. Um, not not too much happened in practice either. It's it's you know it's middle yeah. of the year now. It's kind of repetitive. Um, the one thing I'll make up note, uh, which will only appeal to a very small segment of the listeners here, and especially our good friend Eric Scopel, who can't be here because he has a doctor's appointment. Uh, Ross James took the the opening snaps as punter instead of Adam Barry, and that's the first time that has happened this year. Um, Dan talked about it yesterday at his press conference saying they'll do whatever it is to help the team and make them competitively better, which is, you know, just a coach speak of saying, yeah, he, he punted. So what, um, he did take a punt in this last game against Washington state. This is the first punt other than Bo Nix and Adam Barry to, to have a punt this season. So I thought that was notable, but, um, other than that, from an injury front, at least from Oregon's perspective, everything seems to be clear. Um, like we were talked about on the Monday mailbag podcast, Cardwell, uh, still looks limited, acts limited. Um, and like Lanning said in his update, uh, once he's 100% able to go, then he'll be able to go. But it doesn't look like he's 100% right now. So, but it's basically, you know, there's definitely some adjustments here that Oregon's going to have to make. Um, DJ being out, we'll, we'll see how that kind of shakes things out there. Uh, on the other side of the of the table here, Stanford, they are also dealing with some injuries beyond just EJ Smith. Um, you look at the, the the offensive line and they could be without a couple of their tackles in, in this one who are available to play. Um, left tackle Walter Rouse and right tackle Miles Hitton are both questionable and then also fullback Jay Simmons. Uh, both those, all three of those guys are going to be questionable for, for this game. Rouse is uh, a starter. We've seen um, some of their, you know, they lose, they love the big packages. They love doubling up on tackles. They love doubling up on tight ends. They play the fullback. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how just Oregon maneuver, you know, how Stanford maneuvers this game with, Without a full roster uh, on their part as well. Um, 
Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss a little bit of some red zone talk. Uh, Dan was obviously that was a big storyline in the first half of Washington State. Dan gave us some some discussion points on that. And we'll also talk about just the matchups that Oregon's going to face against Stanford coming up next here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Uh, Matt Prem here and Jared Mack. Um, red zone talk. It It's probably something that hurt Oregon, or probably it is. It hurt Oregon in the first half, and then they're able to fix things around a little bit and uh, get things back on track in that second half against Washington State, and they scored touchdowns every time they got in um, the red zone. And we, we the media was able to talk with Dan Lanning on Monday, and he was asked kind of just what what happened and what can you do to kind of fix those issues. And it sounds like, you know, like what we've seen the last three weeks after games, Dan Lanning kind of singles out a couple things, and they immediately go to work on it, and the next week we see improvement. And this week – he, he said on, on, on Monday, they, they spent time working in the red area. They've talked, they've, they've done it before, but he, there's some more focus here because they need to be better. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, I'm not surprised that that's what Dan said. That's, that's always what it is that, you know, this team has shown a, a propensity to do something poorly one game and come back and to get better at it the next. Um, that happened with perimeter tackling after Georgia against Eastern Washington, especially against BYU, not so much against Washington state. So these things are always a work in progress. Um, I think for the red zone deficiencies that they had against Washington state, I think that was after rewatching the game a couple of times and sitting on it, I think Washington state just did a really good job of, um, jumping it. I think they did a great job of jumping the quarterback sneak. I think they did a good job going coast to coast, excuse me, sideline to sideline and just being faster than Oregon was on, on those processes. Um, Eric, our, uh, Eric asked a question to Dan about you know, why he thought that the tight end screens were the best in the red zone to do. And yeah. um, it kind of, Dan was a little defensive about it, but I, I think he just took it in a different way than Eric meant to ask it. Uh, just basically saying that those are all option plays. You know, Nix has the option to throw it to the tight end for a screen, and they think that they had the right numbers there. Um, and I think that's just what it is. I think Oregon 
went after the, they played it aggressively. Um, they thought that they had the right numbers. Washington state just did a better job. And then obviously that's something that Oregon wants to shore up on. They want to be better. They want to get into the end zone every time instead of settling for field goals. I went over that on, on both the post game podcast and yesterday's podcast. If Oregon scores touchdowns on all of those possessions, they're up 28 to 10 going into halftime instead of the, 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 the pick six and the three field goals. Um, so obviously you want to be productive there. And against Stanford, um, Stanford is not an offense that if they're up, if Oregon is up by 14 to 21 points, that is not an offense that could easily move the ball down the field like other teams in this conference. And so those opportunities to get into the red zone and into the end zone uh, need to be taken advantage of. And I, I don't doubt Dan for a second that they worked on red area this week. They worked on red area last week. They've worked on it all, all year long, basically. Um, I, again, I think it'll be, I think it'll prove the more we move along in the year that the red zone hiccup against Washington state is more of a testament to how good Washington State's defense was in that area, other than from from outside the ten yard line, just inside the ten yard line compared to everywhere else. I'm with you. I I think, I, I, like you said, as the year goes on, that's going to become the anomaly and not not the norm um, for Oregon. This offense is pretty darn good. Now, the matchup here is going to be interesting. Um, Oregon versus Stanford, the personnel that Oregon has and how they can exploit things and the personnel that that Stanford has and how Stanford can maybe exploit some things is certainly going to be interesting to watch. Um, I think this defense in particular, obviously we, we've only spoken with the defense as of this recording. Um, Gonzo, uh, Steve Stevens, uh, and then Jeffrey Bossa and Brandon Dorless were the four defensive players to speak after Tuesday's practice. So we got a little bit of, of everything. We got some guys in the secondary. We got guys at the second level. And then we got in the trenches. And I, I, I just get the feeling from, A, talking to the guys I, I spoke with, hearing what you've said about, you know, off record about what Dorless and Bossa have said, I, I think this defense is relishing this opportunity to play a, you know, because of how last year happened, but B I, I think this is, they don't want to come out and flat say it, but this is a game. Oregon could have a really good defensive performance on, even though historically Stanford's offense has been troubling at times for Oregon's defense. Yeah. I think it, it'll come down to what Stanford comes out of the gates with. Uh, it's a very well-coached team with, with Coach Shaw over there at Stanford. Um, however, their their idealistic offense is a run-oriented, run-heavy offense. And if there's one thing that Oregon has done very well this year, it has been stopping the run. Um, Washington State, albeit not a really run-heavy team, you know, ran for just about two yards a carry or just there under. Um, Georgia, a run-heavy team, predominantly run-heavy, kind of I would say similar to what an Oregon offense looks like this year where it's – probably run first, then pass, but not by much. Um, Oregon did a, did a really good job there. No one's going to remember that because of the score and how well the passing attack was. But defensively, run game, Oregon did a good job. Stanford is run heavy. Now they're without E.J. Smith. Their offensive line isn't as good as it has been. Uh, it's certainly nothing nowhere close to the early 2010s and, and probably in, even into the late 2010s. Um, this is a different group. Um, I'm pretty sure that 
Uh, Bruce, their their offensive tackle that you talked about it being questionable. I don't think he played last week. We'll see if he plays this week. That certainly will help them. Um, but pass rush has been an issue for Oregon at points. Uh, defensive, uh, the run blocking and run stuffing yeah. has not. Um, I think the matchup, and this ultimately comes down to, can Oregon's pass rush get to Tanner McKee? Um, we talked about this a little bit on Monday, but Stanford has trees as wide receivers, just like they always have them, just like their tight ends too. That has always been an Achilles heel. You know, it's the same. It's basically that's the reason that Oregon lost the game in 2021, um, other than the the, the, the the pass interference calls and, and things of that nature too. But just a high point ball into the end zone against a guy who's six foot four against a player who's five foot ten and a cornerback. Um, that'll be a matchup where Oregon's defensive backs will need to will literally need to stand tall and play tall. And Oregon's defensive line without DJ Johnson for the first half will need to get to Tanner McKee in the quarterback and make his life a little more interesting instead of just standing back there waiting and using his six foot five, six foot six frame to peer over the defense and launch a ball deep. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup to say the least. I think that if Oregon can get a pass rush and force Stanford into third down and longs or negate any type of big runs, um, I think they'll be sitting in the driver's seat pretty much for this game in terms of their defense. And remember this, this Stanford team still has some talent at receiver. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Wilson is tremendous. Uh, big play threat leads the conference in matchups or in yards per catch. I think it's like 22 yards per catch. Um, mm-hmm. Humphreys is good and he's six foot five. And I'm pretty sure he's the one that caught the touchdown at the end of the game last year against Oregon. Um, when he went up over, I think, I think so. it was DJ, I think it was DJ James that he was up against. Um, and then there's Elijah Higgins. I mean, remember, Remember the talk with Elijah Higgins last year? I think he was one of your guys that you just loved watching play. Yeah, no, I, I love ago. him as a wide receiver. Another big guy. He is, I think he's six three. Yeah, and he's like two hundred and thirty five pounds. Yeah. Um he's not off to that the start he had last year. Um, last year he had forty five catches, five hundred yards, and four touchdowns. But you look at the games leading up to the Oregon game, he was going off. And then he missed a couple mm-hmm. games due to injury. But they've got the dudes at, at, out wide at receiver to cause some problems. And then, like you said, Oregon, they've shown this year that they can stop the run. Teams have, like you went through the numbers, teams cannot run well on Oregon. This is probably a game, especially if Rouse can't play. EJ Smith now is out. This feels like if Stanford's going to be in this one, they're going to go wide. And they're going to see if they can get guys in space. That's what Steve Stevens talked about uh, after practice on Tuesday was whether they're running the football or whether they're trying to throw on Oregon. He said they have to be able to tackle in space. And that feels like if if Oregon's secondary comes to play and can match up well, this could get out of hand. But if they can't, Stanford's got the guys out wide to make this game really interesting and probably pretty nerve-wracking for Oregon's fan base. Yeah, and they have the quarterback to do it as well. Yeah, uh, Tanner McKee is—I know he hasn't doesn't put up great numbers and is a little bit older than your average you know, quarterback in his third or fourth season, but he's good. He's a capable quarterback. He's a good Pac-12 quarterback. Um, he had a good day last year against Oregon. Um, 
uh, and he's somebody who actually throws the throws the deep ball probably better than most people in this conference. And that's going to be like you just mentioned. That's going to be an Achilles heel for Oregon if their defensive backs and their cornerbacks specifically can't match up down the field or they blow coverages. Um, I don't think Stanford is going to be is going to be much different of an offensive approach that other teams are taking versus Oregon this year in terms of going more north to south than east to west. So this theoretically again could could play very much into Oregon's favor. But if they aren't are not able to defend well along the perimeter and tackle um, and cover well, this could this could lead into something that's a little more interesting. And every year, Stanford for for the last couple of years has coached really well against Oregon. They have schemed Oregon really well on both offense and defense. So it's again a very well coached group over there. This is something that Oregon's coaching staff has to account for. They have to you know, cross their T's and dot their I's in this case and then scheming and pre- preparing for Stanford because it's, it's just – it's never easy, it feels like. Then this goes back to our conversation we had at the original point of this podcast. It's never easy against Stanford. Yeah, Oregon's four and six in the last ten meetings uh, against the Stanford Cardinal. And more than one occasion, Oregon's been the higher-ranked team and lost. It, that happened last year. That when they were number three, uh, they lost when they were number two in t- 2013. Granted, Stanford was the sixth best team in the country that game. And then the year before that as well, in Eugene, in 2012, Oregon was the number one team in the country. And they lost that football game to a 14th ranked Stanford team, 17-14 in overtime. Um, the Stanford team has been really – a big thorn in Oregon's side the last 10 years or more. And I think we brought it up on the Washington state podcast, um, or maybe it was just us talking about it, but off record, but it's not common for Oregon to beat both Washington state and Stanford in the same year. Yeah, And it's only happened, I think three times in the last 10 or so seasons. Um, where they've beaten both teams. And so if, if this game goes as it should be, I understand that Oregon is a 17-and-a-half-point favorite, but this should be – I don't know what I want to say if it's a celebrated, but like this is a big moment for this program, I feel I feel like. We, we talked about the BYU game being a show-me game. I feel like this is one in which, hey, you're a heavy favorite at home – against an inferior opponent, if you're as good as we think you are, you should blow Stanford out. You should hit that. You should hit that number at 17 and a half. Is that, is that fair? Even though knowing the history between these two teams, I think it's fair. I think this is also, I understand your point where it's like, you would kind of, kind of praise landing and staff for like beating Stanford in this situation, even though they are the much better team. This is like, for me, is like being a Patriot fan and seeing that the like going to Miami and playing the Dolphins there because it's just never going to – Patriots always lose in Miami. This is just one of those games where nobody outside of the Pac-12 probably realizes how often Stanford, uh, you know, swipes the legs out from Oregon and their good, potentially good, if not great, season that they have ahead of them in some random week five or week six matchup. 
Um, you know, in the early 2010s, these were really great games with two top 10 teams, two top 25 teams. In recent memory, other than 2018, it's been a ranked Oregon team against an unranked Stanford team who's not the best, not a real competitor in the Pac-12, who just come in and beat them. And, yeah, I, I think if things go right for Oregon, you know, they should they should cover that 17.5 point spread. I think they're far superior of a team. I think they're just – you know, much more talented, et cetera, et cetera. But it, this, again, it's Stanford. It's weird that we're talking like they're, this is Georgia part two coming up. Yeah. But that's just how it is. And I, I was going to ask you, what is, what is, um, what was the most gut wrenching Stanford loss that you, that you remember? Um, Not to get too negative, but I, th- I thought it was a fun little exercise to see how negative we could get. <laughs> I think. Probably 2012 is the one that first hits me um, when I think of gut-wrenching losses because Oregon was number one in the country. And if D'Anthony Thomas just simply made a block in that game, um, Oregon probably wins without it going to overtime. Um, But one that really does it for me is – I'm going to pull it up so I can get the box score correctly. 2001, Oregon against Stanford in Eugene. Um, That game was played in October, and they lost 49 to 42. And at half, or it was 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 obviously a high-scoring game, but Oregon – Led by seven after the first quarter, led by seven after halftime, um, led by 21. Wolf. Or no, four, 14 after the third quarter. And so. it was 42 28 after the third quarter. And Stanford blocked like multiple punts, I think, in the fourth quarter. Um, one of them, I, I, I think, set up like a really easy touchdown. Um, and it was just like devastation. Like, Oregon was undefeated, I think, in, in that going into that game. They were top five. Stanford wasn't this like really good team yet. And this was like Oregon's first real year where it was like, hey, they could be a BCS playoff team or a BCS, yeah, BCS championship team. And because they couldn't block kicks and because they could not cover tight end Teo Johnson, um, who lost like four different Oregon DBs in that game. That's probably the one for me that that clicks is the 2001 game, 49-42 loss. Because they led by by two scorers going into the fourth quarter and they lost by seven. That's a good one. I mean, I was four years old at the time, so I don't remember that one. But... (laughs) Uh, I think it's close between 2000 or this past season, so 2021, and then 2018 for me. Um, the past, this past season, 2021, yeah, that was last just, year was that was just staggering. I couldn't even understand what was going, on, especially in the final Stanford drive that forced overtime. I just didn't yeah. understand what was going on. Like there, it just didn't seem possible that Oregon would continuously stack up all these penalties, and then the, the touchdown was caught, and then it's all of a sudden in overtime, and it's like. By the time I realized what was going on, the, the, the fans were on the field. And I was 
just flabbergasted. But the I, yeah, I Oregon had a ninety nine point nine percent chance of winning that yeah, game at one point. Just it must have been like what Washington State fans felt like this past weekend. But <laughs> my, I, I got to go with twenty eighteen because that was when I was um, a, a student at Oregon and was a fan, and um, that was a tough one because it's one thing when it's when you lose like a tough game like that. It's another thing when right. you're you're ahead for most of the game. It's an exciting one. It's kind of back and forth, and then your team takes a lead, and oh look, they can go up by. Two score. I think it was probably two scores, maybe even three scores when they're down at the goal line, and then um, Jake Hansen sends one thirty feet over Herbert's head, and that's when things started to hit the fan. Um, that was a tough one because not only was that a, a Saturday and at college, it was also a Saturday night game, and yep. you did uh, game you day and, was there. Yeah, and game day, so you're up all day like I was, and then you and. 25,000 of your closest student friends are all somberly walking over the bridge uh, back to wherever you live on campus or off campus. That was, that was a tough one. You just get home, you sit on the couch and you just feel depleted. (laughs) You're just, this is it. This is all I need. We can't end this on a negative note. So let's flip the script. I'm going to flip it now. Just the thrilling wins that we've seen (laughs) In in this series, because there are some out there, believe it there or are not. A few. Yeah. Um, I'll go first, and I think it comes to mind. This was the first game. I think there's some sentimental value here for me. Um, this is the first game that I did where this was my job full time. Um, mm-hmm. I we started this site in twenty nine in two thousand and nine, and I worked a full time job on the radio side that had the the home is the home of the ducks KUGN. I worked in that cluster of radio stations from 2009 all the way to 2015. And I, I quit in November of 2015 And the first game I covered with this job being my sole job was Stanford, Oregon. Um, Stanford was seventh in the country. It was Vernon Adams running the show and it literally came down to the last play of the game. Um, Stanford scored a touchdown. I think there was maybe like one or two seconds left and they had to go for two. And the quarterback, I can't remember who, who it was for Stanford, but had a wide open receiver threw it into the end zone to complete the two point conversion. But just at the nick of time, Joe Walker just kind of diving tips the ball. Doesn't, you know, doesn't get caught, ball hits the ground, two-point conversion fails, Oregon wins. And, you know, that was a game in which it was back and forth. Uh, Oregon wasn't supposed to win. And it kind of propelled them before, you know, some things went awry again for Oregon to, to be maybe back into the discussion to win the league again. And it was just an awesome game. Loaded talent. Verdon Adams played really good. Um that 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 to me is the one that really sticks out um, on instance is just the, how exciting and back and forth that game was. Yeah, that was uh, I think that that was going to be mine, and I but I'm going to switch it now because you just went through that. Um, this is again this is a sentimental one. This was uh, 2019. I had yeah. just started as or not just started, but I was an intern with you guys at the time, and it was my first football game 
second football game, third football game, might have been third football game as a, as a reporter, but it was the first time I traveled. We went down to Stanford and they yep. ended up winning 21 to six. And it wasn't a pretty win. There were some nice plays. I think, I don't know what that is. Jalen Red caught some, caught a really nice touchdown pass. Yeah. Jacob Breland had some good moments as well. Um, but it was, it was fun. It was, it was a sentimental one, travel and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, originally I was going to go with the 2015 one because that one just seemed like, you know, this is Sanford's going to run Oregon over type of deal. Crazy. It felt like the shoe was on the other foot in that instance, but the unranked Oregon beats the, the top ranked Stanford. All right. That's going to do it for us, uh, for today's show. Um, we'll be back later this week with Jackson, Jackson Moore, 24 seven sports. Uh, he'll be on to preview the Stanford side of things. Um, and then we'll also have our game prediction pick uh, show as well on the show. And Eric will be with us for those as well. Um, so until the next podcast, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Peace. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.